Chapter 21 of The Romance of Modern Astronomy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Romance of Modern Astronomy by Hector Macpherson. Chapter 21 The Motions of the Stars. The stars are generally designated as fixed stars to distinguish them from the planets or wandering stars. On a first consideration of the subject, the name fixed stars seems to describe very accurately the chief characteristics of these groups. While the planets move about through the zodiacal constellations, the stars preserve relatively to one another the same positions. The constellation Orion preserves throughout the ages its well-known form. Similarly, the plough shines down on us today as it did on the kingdom of Israel and on the plains of Troy, so that for all practical purposes we are correct in speaking of the fixed stars, and yet, scientifically speaking, we are wrong. The stars are no more fixed than are the planets. Indeed, many of the stars are moving through space with a velocity far greater than the swiftest of the planets. But so distant are the stars, so deep are they sunk in the depths of space, that in the course of hundreds, even thousands of years, the casual stargazer can detect no difference in their positions. But casual stargazing, or even intelligent observation of the stars with the unaided eye, is a very different thing from careful and patient measurement. The ancient astronomers, even when they measured carefully the positions of the stars, detected no change in their positions, and hence they believed the stars to be literally fixed to the inside of a huge sphere, which rotated once in twenty-four hours and even after it had been shown that the earth rotated on its axis and that there was no literal sphere, the idea was still maintained that the stars were motionless. At length it was found in 1715 that the star Arcturus was in motion. Halley compared its position as noted by his own observations with its position in the old catalogues, and he found that unmistakably the star had moved. Here was an extraordinary discovery. The fixed stars were not fixed, since the time of Halley, the proper motions, as they are called, of many other stars have been measured and estimated, until at the present moment, in the estimate of Professor Dyson, Astronomer Royal of Scotland, the proper motions of 10,000 stars have been measured. The stars whose motions have been measured travel with various velocities. The swiftest star of all is an eighth-magnitude star in the southern hemisphere. This little object is not designated by a name or a letter, or even an ordinary number, its designation is Gould's Cordova Zones, 5 hour, 243. This is the swiftest known star in the heavens, and an idea of its vast distance may be obtained from the statement that the star would require 200 years to move over a space equal to the moon's apparent diameter. The next swiftest star is an insignificant star in Orsa Major, which is known as 1830 Groombridge, that being its number in the catalogue of the astronomer Groombridge, who lived early in the last century. This star would, in 265 years, move over a space in the heavens equal to the sun's apparent diameter, and in 185,000 years would complete a revolution of the whole sky. Next to 1830 Groombridge come two small stars in the southern hemisphere, and next our nearer neighbours in space, 61 Cygni and Alpha Centauri, the distances of both of which have been measured. The real velocity of Groombridge 1830 is 128 miles a second. 61 Cygni moves at the rate of 30 miles per second, 
while the bright star Arcturus has been calculated to have a velocity of no less than 376 miles per second. The sun is a star. It possesses points in common with many of the suns of space, and as the stars are moving, is it not possible that the sun is also moving? At first sight, it looks almost impossible to determine the motion of our sun if it does move, for it is obvious that if the sun is moving through space, the earth and other planets will be carried along with it, just as the moon is carried along with the earth. It is quite plain, therefore, that if the sun does move, there will be a corresponding displacement of the stars, just as there is in our solar system, a displacement of the sun resulting from the motion of the earth. But here a complication enters into the problem. If the stars were stationary, it would be quite an easy matter to detect from their displacements the motion of the sun. But they're not stationary. Each star is moving through space in its own particular direction, and with its own particular velocity. Thus the problem becomes almost insuperable. Nevertheless, it was tackled and solved over a hundred years ago, and its solution is one of those brilliant strokes of genius which astronomy owes to Herschel. It was obvious to Herschel that if the sun is moving in a certain direction, the stars in front will appear to open out and those behind to close up. Of course, as already mentioned, this is complicated by the motions of the stars themselves. Nevertheless, Herschel, by an ingenious method of separating the real from the apparent motions of seven stars, was able to show that the sun was moving towards a point in the constellation Hercules, near to the apparent position of the star Lambda Herculis. Herschel believed the rate of the solar motion to be, quote, certainly not less than the Earth has in her annual orbit, end quote. However, the general opinion of astronomers is that the velocity of the sun is about 11 miles per second, somewhat less than the rate of our planet's motion in its orbit. It has now been ascertained that the point towards which the sun is moving is not in Hercules, but in the neighboring constellation Lyra, near to the star known as Delta Lyrae. If we give this great discovery a moment's consideration, we cannot but be impressed with it. Not only does the earth revolve round the sun, but it follows the sun in its endless journey through space. And not only is the earth moving round the sun at the rate of 18 miles a second, but it is being carried along with it at the rate of 11 miles a second. Yet so vast is the space surrounding the solar system, and so completely isolated from the rest of the universe, that although the sun has been moving at the rapid rate of 11 miles per second throughout the time in which the human race has been in existence, Yet the resulting displacements of the stars are utterly imperceptible to the unaided eye. Sir Robert Ball explains very clearly the enormity of the stellar distances and the isolation of the solar system in the following words, quote, The sun, and with it the whole solar system, is bound on a voyage to that part of the sky which is marked by the star Delta Lyrae. It also appears that the speed with which the motion is urged is such as to bring us every day about 700,000 miles nearer to this part of the sky. As you look at Delta Lyrae tonight, you may reflect that within the last 24 hours you have traveled toward it through a distance of nearly three quarters of a million of miles. So great are the stellar distances that a period of not less than 180,000 years would be required before our system, even moving at this impetuous speed, could traverse a distance equal to that by which we are separated from the nearest of the stars. End quote. Mention has been made of the marvelous method of finding by means of the spectroscope the motions of bodies in the line of vision. In this way, the motions of many stars have been measured. 
When we measure the proper motion of a star over the face of the sky, we are in reality only measuring that part of the motion which is across the line of vision. The star may be moving towards or away from the earth, but that part of the motion could never be detected by the purely telescopic method. It is here that Doppler's method comes in conveniently. The first results were obtained by the late Sir William Huggins as long ago as 1868. Very satisfactory results were reached by the late Dr. Fogel, who applied photography to this branch of research. Fogel found that 10 miles a second was the average velocity of stars in the direct line of sight. Some stars, however, proved swifter and some slower than the average. Thus the brilliant star, Aldebaran, is moving away from the solar system at the rate of 30 miles a second. Perhaps the most remarkable fact about the motions of the stars is that some stars share their proper motions with others. Flammarion mentions the case of Regulus, the brightest star in Leo, which travels at the same rate as a faint star of the eighth magnitude. When more than two stars have a common proper motion, the phenomenon is known as star drift. The best-known instance is afforded by five of the seven stars of the plough. Each of these stars moves with the same velocity in the same direction. Not only do these stars have the same velocity across the line of sight, the spectroscope proves that they have the same motion in the line of vision also, so that they certainly form a connected system, although they are separated from one another by billions of miles. Does any law regulate the motions of the stars? This problem has exercised the minds of astronomers for many years and has not been solved, but this is not to be wondered at. Even after the motions of the planets were known and could be predicted, the law of the planetary motions was unknown, and many years, indeed centuries, elapsed before it was shown that the planets were in revolution around the sun. It is therefore not remarkable that no law has been detected. Several speculations have been made as to the revolution of the stars around some central body. A well-known German astronomer, Argelander, suggested that the central body of the stellar system was situated in the constellation Perseus. Maedler, another famous German astronomer, after an elaborate investigation, believed himself to have obtained satisfactory evidence that the sun and all the other stars were in revolution around Alcyon, the chief star of the Pleiades. But neither of these theories has been accepted, and at the present time astronomers do not believe that there is a central sun large and powerful enough to control the motions of the other stars. Flammarion, in one of his picturesque illustrations, compares our solar system to an absolute monarchy with the sun as despot and the system of the stars to a federated republic without a dominating authority. End of chapter 21. Read by Sandra, Montreal, 2022.